Welcome to the Hospitality Maverick podcast with me, Michael Tinkser. We at Hospitality Mavericks are here to inspire leaders to create heart-centered and profitable businesses from the inside out. The kind that both employees and customers love and support. In this episode, I will be talking with the founders of OMF, GCO, Fritz Messenbrink and Jeremy They run a brand and design agency in Portland, US, and are doing a lot of work with progressive hospitality and restaurant businesses across the globe. We talked about how the world is changing due to the pandemic, the importance as an operator to make people feel safe through the way you communicate as a brand, as well as how the experience is created in your physical space. We also talked about how you more than ever have to stand out and you no longer just can have fluffy values and claims you hide behind. You need to really care about people, communities, and the planet. If you want to tribe and stand out in a new normal, this episode is for you. Enjoy. Welcome to the Hospitality Maverick podcast. And we are uh, in the end of May. We are still in the pandemic in the middle of it. And, and I, don't, I don't know actually if it has an end, but we're actually in a very critical point where we are starting and talking about reopening and shaping the new world, both for us as a society, but also as a business, especially in hospitality, because that's an industry that's hungering for opening up and trying to get back into business with keeping people and their customers safe, of course. And for this episode, I have Fritch and Jeremy all the way from the US dialing in. They are early morning and we are late afternoon here. And uh, we're going to be talking a bit about, you know, how do you create an experience that make people feel safe, both your people and customers. Fritz, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Excited to be on. Tell a bit about your background, Fritz, and then maybe Jeremy can tell a bit about more about your business and what you're all about. You have a slight different approach to brand and how to do design and so on. So Fritz, what is your background and how do you end in designing hospitality businesses and brands? Let's see. I, I went back to school after graduating the first time in communications. I went back for a graphic design degree. That kind of eventually led me to Widening Kennedy, which is an ad agency here in Portland, pretty well-known one. Let's see. I was there for about two years. And right when I went there, I met Jeremy. He was in the experimental ad school there and we had some overlap and got to know each other a little bit, but then he left and got a job and I stayed at Widen for a couple more years. Then we kind of ended up with this opportunity to work together a few years later, or maybe one year after that, kind of right at the bottom of the recession. In 2009, we got a job together and decided we'd start a company from there. Yeah, I guess my background is just mostly design focused, but you know, I grew up in the wilderness, essentially just kind of building things and trying to make my own fun. And I think there's a lot of people in our studio that have that same type of experience. So, Jeremy, what about you? Your, your elevator pitch story, what is that and how do you end it up in design and brand in hospitality and restaurants. Uh, it's also an honor to be here. So thanks, Michael. My background is similar, but different to Fritz's. I, I grew up in Texas. It was a small place, but bigger than Fritz's rural upbringing. I grew up in Lubbock, Texas, when honestly, what, what really saved my life was skateboarding and punk rock and underground cultures in general. Because when I turned onto those as a young kid, I, I realized the world was much, much bigger than I realized. It really became kind of a creative center for me. It was a form of creative expression at that time in the you know mid 80s to, to mid 90s skateboarding was really um, underground and not as popular as it is now so there was a lot of you know creative folks that were kind of driven to, to adopt it uh, alongside their other creative pursuits so I found myself dabbling in photography and videography and writing and making artwork and all sorts of things and eventually I actually opened my own skate shop in high school and that was my very first business venture and I ended up building a brand for it and naming it and doing all the stuff but I didn't know that was someone's job I just 
just needed a brand. So I just made it. And then years later, I, I was in school for anthropology because I didn't really know you could do this for a living. But I got the opportunity to, to get a, a part of Widening Kennedy's uh, WK12 program. And uh, that really just changed my life. Honestly, it opened doors for me that I, I never previously had opened. And as Fritz mentioned, we met in that time, which is also clearly very pivotal for my life. I did not get hired at Widen, which was a bummer at the time. But I did get the good fortune of being hired for um, Ace Hotel, which was not really a nationally known brand at this point. It was only one small 28-room hotel in Belltown in Seattle. So it was a chance for me to help them essentially build their brand from the ground floor up, which I did basically from 2006 to 2009. I worked on building their Portland, New York, and Palm Springs locations. And then, as Fritz mentioned, we got a, a mutual job together with Olympic Provisions, and that was enough for us to realize how much fun it was to work together and how we should start a company. So here we are 11 years later, still running our studio. Our business model is pretty much the same, which is we just simply want to do good work with good people on products and services we believe in. So that leads us to be a fairly industry agnostic, but we do have our roots um, heavily and deeply set in the hospitality space. You know, because when I went to your website, and I was very cautious about actually just before as well, how do you actually say your name, brand name? It just makes you, you want to know more. It's like a, <laughs> you can you can have probably have 10 different ways to pronounce that and have an understanding of it. But the, the thing that says on the website is that you help to build brands for visionaries. So you actually help them storytelling, I think. And that's, that's very interesting. I think it's going to be very interesting in post-COVID. So if you can tell a bit about what, what kind of work have you been doing besides you, you come from a brand background, what kind of work do you do with your clients and what is the typical you know outcomes they're seeking when they work with you guys? So how you say our company name is uh, OMFG Co. It means what you think it means, but it also is short for uh, the official manufacturing company. We've trademarked both. And the story was funny because we didn't actually set out to have a double entendre name. We we really liked the kind of honest, hardworking ethic of the uh, Americana heritage and, and manufacturing era. And so we we were really focused on like, naming ourselves something a little bit more ambiguous so we could be um, not seen as just designers. We wanted to actually make things. So when we landed on official manufacturing company, we were very pleased, but it was also clearly a very long name and a long URL. So we thought of ways to shorten it and we shortened it by saying official MFG Co. and then ultimately OMFG Co. We uh, didn't embrace that as our, our outward facing name right away necessarily because we wanted to be taken seriously and, and um, it took us a second to really trust that our clients were going to still uh, seek us out and, and think that we were worth hiring if, if we had a, a cheeky name. So where, where are you based in, in the US because the US is massive so people can get a bit of context about where, where are you working from and, and where are you typically your clients based? Of course yeah we're, we're based in Portland, Oregon and we've been here the whole time. We're a, we're a studio of about 20 people and we're able to you know work all over the world luckily. Um, we've, we've had jobs in Canada, um, jobs all over America, jobs in Japan, jobs in Italy. But by and large, uh, our jobs are stateside and, and we work fully open and, and able to work just about anywhere we need to. Still not in the UK. Yeah, it's going to be on the other side of it. I don't know when you actually can travel in. That's But also you don't need to travel in. You're absolutely right. You know. Yeah, so, yeah we uh, have. I think we've been looking at that a lot lately, just questioning even a lot of the travel we'd done right before this, where we were like, you know, I don't know if we needed to go for a lot of those trips. And I think people are going to start thinking more about that coming out of this. Let's touch on this because we, you, know, you cannot have a, have a conversation today. It would be nice to say we just we just can that conversation, but it's evolving so much all the time, like the pandemic, COVID-19. Um, you in the US, a lot of people have been looking at the US recently and, and the UK is a, also a part of the, the top three countries that's been massively impacted by this from a, from a health point of view. Where are the US and how do you see this 
impact the, the work you do and and the, the customers you're you're working with when you work with hospitality and restaurant they are just in the middle of it of the storm you know they are if not together with the health sector the most impacted industry with, with travel as well the u.s just this morning announced that they've had 40 million people file for for unemployment which is like one in four of working americans which i think is just like shocking you know at the same time a hundred thousand people have died our clients are totally affected differently you know like the restaurant industry is completely shut down so all of those clients you know everything's kind of gone on hold hotels are you know just kind of creeping along and we have some of those that are like new build projects a few years out that are you know still going on as as planned just because the timeline is so far out there but you know a lot of things on hold as well you know we have a, a bottled cocktail company that is doing better than they ever have before because all the bars are shut down, you know, so people want a good cocktail and they're providing it. And I don't know, it's just fascinating how different it is for all of our clients and for all of our employees and for just everyone in America. Take from a restaurant context, hospitality is a complex beast with many different avenues. But from a restaurant point of view, everybody understands to go in and sit in a restaurant and having a meal. We're talking about 40 to 50% will not be on the high street in 12 to 18 months. So how, how, how is the picture in, in the US when it comes to that? Do you have any ideas about that? Is that still to discover how, how badly this is going to impact the industry? Man. And I don't know. I mean, we've got a lot of friends in the industry here in Portland that, you know, have all reacted and pivoted in really interesting ways, just given the circumstances. But I don't know. I still don't know what it looks like on the other side. We've got another big restaurant client down in San Francisco, you know, who have, I think they own like 50 restaurants. And just it's hard to even imagine dealing with a problem like this at that scale and trying to figure out what it looks like on the other side of this is just beyond me. I don't know, Jeremy, what are your thoughts? I mean, it's a real challenge because basically there's just so much uncertainty and so much you know, everyone's entitled to how they feel, you know, like, that's one thing I always go back to is, you know, some people are very, very concerned about all the things that they hear on the news, and you know, are, are trying to follow everything to a T and always wear a mask and always use hand sanitizer and all, you know, that this, this kind of thing. And I respect that. And I, they should absolutely have space and ability to do what they need to create safety in their own lives. I feel like, you know, not everyone's in that place. Some people are, you know, ready to open back up and are wanting normal life. Some people are somewhere in between where they they're like, well, like, you know, I'm going to take my vitamins and, and keep my distance, but I'm going to still go about my business. And so I think, you know, making space for everyone to be exactly where they are is kind of the, one of the most important things we can do. And also one of the most challenging things for predicting the future, because everyone feels differently. You know, even if restaurants are able to open and be normal, will people feel comfortable being in there? Who knows? Will people in New York feel comfortable making a commute in a busy subway car to work? Who knows? You know, like, even though they can do it, will people want to? That's the unknown. Yeah, and that's that's a super interesting question, Jeremy, because that's probably the biggest one to solve for the operator. So how do people feel and how do I actually make them feel safe when they use my premises? How can I cater for the different ways of either enjoying things, eating from that place or taking it away? What is it that different groups actually need? And that's, you know, the whole way consumers consume and the needs they have, I guess they're changing as well. What, what, what are you seeing there from a brand point of view that you have to be aware of because suddenly the Maslow's hierarchy of needs is totally changing. Brands really have to rethink about how they communicate to, you know, I wouldn't even call them customer groups. Basically, our basic needs that needs to be met in a way when we go out and interact because we're all going to be forced to go out and interact with the world again if we want or not. We'll just need different layers of safety, each of us, as you say. Brand and brand storytelling is going to be critical in simply 
allowing people to find a level of safety that ultimately is within them. You know, like we don't have control over how people feel, but we have control over what we can offer them that can shape their feelings. You know, like real true safety comes from within each of us. You know, if I feel safe or I don't feel safe, it's, you know, really not about my circumstances, it's about my mentality. And so it's like all we can do as responsible brand shepherds, essentially, is to think about what is the message we can say that's the most compassionate and most empathetic to where people are and how can we be thoughtful and let people know that, you know, they're being thought about before they're ever in the space or ever interacting with this brand. You know, I think that that's one of the most important things we can do is just really, truly dig deep into empathy and compassion for where all of us are in this pandemic. It's not been easy on anybody. Yeah. And I think there's going to be that window of time where we, we can't go back to normal or what was normal or the new normal is still kind of yet to be seen. So, you know, we're going to be looking at how do we make people feel that way or how do we make them feel comfortable or heard or seen or any of those things, you know, as a brand is just going to be definitely on a case-to-case basis, you know, it depends on the brand, you know, I think we say internally all the time, every decision is a brand decision. So, you know, how you reopen or what you do or what you can offer in the meantime is totally dependent upon your business and your brand and how it exists. I was on, a, on another call today where we were discussing, you know, the general challenge for the industry from a London point of view. And one of the things that came quite clear out of this is that there is a way out of this. But also the brands that don't have a true story, they have some claims, but they don't have a true story. They don't really care about what they do, about their people or product or the environment. They will really struggle with the new savvy consumer that can actually read behind the lines very quickly now and will not accept that you're not doing the right thing because most people are understanding where where this came from. It came from human behavior and it came from big factory farming and open markets in China. How do you think that the importance of like not just saying the right thing, but also doing the right thing within businesses, you know, how can you make sure you're doing the right thing? Because some businesses, they're massive, you know, and sometimes you get surprised about the practices that's going on and, and then that destroy your brand. You see the brand is something that disappears quicker, the brand value than anything else if you don't get the things right in the consumer's eyes. Yeah, we wrote a Medium article a couple years back that was all about just how, you know, brand and company kind of used to be able to operate independently from one another, where you could say you were a thing and pretend like you were that thing and and do a whole bunch of shady stuff in the background or just operate differently, you know, and just the way that information is available now, you, you can't do that anymore. People will find out and then it's going to hurt you very badly. So I think that's a good thing that, you know, everyone kind of has to live up to what they're saying. Honestly, I think right and wrong are traps to be perfectly transparent. It's an unfair metric because what's right for one person is wrong for another person. And so therefore, is the answer right or wrong? Well, that's to be determined. The best thing we can do in running your own business, it's a well-known mantra to hire slow and fire fast. And I think in this case, I think we would be smart to hire new ideas and new solutions slowly and to abandon ones that we've been doing quickly. So it's a similar metaphor. I think it applies. But I, I think that the only way to know if something is a good or bad decision is to try it. It's not always obvious if it's going to work. It's not always clear if it's the right move, but sometimes making some small move and seeing how it goes and being transparent about your motivations, I think can be one of the best things you can try. Yeah, I was going to add to your mention on transparency. I just think that that communicating all of those things is going to be good for these 
companies as well is just to say what you're trying when you're doing this thing, you know, instead of like making it a big like marketing stunt, just be honest and say, you know, we're hoping that we can, you know, alleviate this or fix this or address this by doing this thing rather than just like kind of doing it and letting everyone assume your intentions. And it seems like in the meantime, it would be probably wise to say why you're doing it or what you're hoping for, because everyone knows that that all of these companies are in a weird spot right now and trying to figure out how they're going to get to the other side of this. Is the time now to to clear the table if you needed to put dry a, a line in the sand and say, okay, well, there's some things we've done up to now that has been, you know, we just done it because it was comfortable or that we thought that was the right way as to behave. It's now they can do it. You know, everybody's starting from a clean sheet because it's how you behave during a crisis, I guess, that set you out how you're going to be perceived as going forward as a brand. Yeah. I mean, all of us have been, as individuals during this time have questioned, you know, like, is this what I want to be doing every day? Or I think it's just been this opportunity to kind of question everything you've done in the past because, I mean, when's the last time as a society we've had a time where everyone was forced to reflect at all on anything, you know, I mean, I think that's the part that's interesting, but not dissimilar for your company or your brand. It's just that time to go, you know, what? this, this thing we've been doing, it doesn't make any sense for us. We should just abandon that. And, you know, let's go down this path instead. Have you seen anyone in hospitality do some like, you know, some interesting pivot in the UK has been the same. There has been definitely people to, to survive and drive. They gone, you know, into groceries, they gone into e-commerce, they like, online cooking, there's so many veg boxes, there's so many different things people have done to survive, both from, from the small operators to the, the larger operators as well. What have you seen of creative pivot solutions in your area and the, the, and the, the people you work with? One of the most obvious immediate responses, which was really heartening, it really um, gave me a lot of good feeling in this, in this kind of challenging time, was that a lot of businesses just recognize that if you're in a position to help others, let's help others, you know? And I think that that was a no-brainer. I think a lot of companies, even our own clients, like Fritz mentioned straight away earlier, they pivoted from making exclusively like bottled cocktails to making hand sanitizer as well. And, you know, and they're delivering hand sanitizer along with their cocktails and making it readily available. And we have other friends that are in the perfumery business and soap and lotion business. They're also making hand sanitizer. We have people in the manufacturing realms uh, in textile design that are working on making masks for people and sending that out. So we ourselves uh, tried to offer, you know, creative portfolio reviews for um, creatives that are out of work and need some help, you know, or just someone to talk to. We just thought like whatever we can do to to make someone's life a little easier is is gonna help. And so that's one of the most heartening things I've seen as far as the pivot goes. And then yeah, like that can also lead to people realizing how important it is to be remote capable, uh, essentially with with all of your offerings. So a lot of restaurants that are that are surviving right now are you know able to either do takeout or delivery or or you know baskets that have well curated goods of you know meats and cheeses you can pick up. I've seen people get creative with their pivoting and even offer new products that they never used to offer before, but it's challenging. Our friends at Proud Mary, which is a coffee roaster and a brunch spot here in Portland and also in Melbourne where they started, you know, instantly opened up their menu to take out and then started coffee window that they didn't have before. And it's just like kind of fun to see the innovation that people are doing real time. They've also, you know, obviously upped their e-commerce in the meantime, you know, and sold more coffee, I think, online than 
they ever had before just because of the change. But it's pretty cool the takeout menu they have that's also like a make it at home yourself menu. It's just been pretty fun to, to, I think, experience because you get to not only see the actual recipe for this item you've had a bunch of times inside their spot, but try to make it yourself and just think you appreciate that experience even more by doing those things. And also just the transparency of actually seeing the recipe that you've had so many times, I think is pretty cool. Yeah, I think that's a very clever way again to build trust. We talked a bit about trust because I guess it's all about trust in the, when we go forward as well. Do I know them, like them and trust them when you go back in a way? And I think these kind of things and I've seen some very you know, small operators as well um, really being good at telling what's going on in their business and the decisions they had to make. Thereby, they, they're not thinking about it as a brand building activity or storytelling, but they're doing it and suddenly they found out wow, we normally post once a week or once a month on our social channels or tell our something, but it's always been very product focused. Now we talk about something, you know, we're very transparent about our dishes, our recipes and things they thought was, you know, secrets, you know, like their Coca-Cola recipes and they found out it doesn't really matter because people are not coming here because of the recipe. They're coming here because of the service or the the human connection. How, How are you like from like design point of view when we are coming back now to this whole reopen? What is your thinking about this? Because again, how do you design something to make, you know, you said everybody, we have all have different ways we need to be kept safe. How do you as an operator start thinking that and thinking about what do I need to do right now from a design point of view in my restaurant, store, hotel to make people feel safe while they're there and, and cater for all the the needs? It's a good question. And, you know, as we, as we alluded to earlier, there is no one right answer. So, you know, my, my ponderings here that I'll I'll offer are, are, are simply that they're ponderings. I think it's right to absolutely focus on the feeling because, you know, even if you get the lobby open and everything's, you know, working, but it feels not great to be in there because of all the new rules and regulations, I think it could end up shooting businesses in the foot on accident. You know, I think it's about striking that balance of either choosing, making the hard choice to not open up fully and not sully the experience that somebody, you know, might have in certain areas of your business and only allowing certain ones to function to allow, you know, a financial flow to happen again. Other solutions might be rather than simply distancing people and doing that kind of stuff, like also looking for places to connect people, I think. I think people are looking for that human connection again, and and people are looking for ways to feel, you know, quote unquote, normal and all that stuff. So whatever we can do to honor the rules of safety and, and sanitary measures while still offering an aiding connection, I think would be the right balance to strike. Yeah. And it's super interesting. Again, there's a lot of conversation going on. Who wants to be served in a restaurant by a waiter that has a mask on and the gloves or whatever the measures that has been put in place? And and I, I think there's, again, there's some big question you have to ask yourself about what kind of experience would you like to be remembered by as well? Because I've said to some people we work with, said maybe because you are that unique experience and it's all about that, you really think about should you wait a bit longer if you can? financially it could actually be harm you worse financially opening and people feel it's this weird kind of environment you open in because a lot can happen in four weeks time in the moment we have already learned that how restrictions quite quickly lift and you can see in china and scandinavia as well that you know they, they, they're not back to normal but there's definitely a, a more normal flow of things you could spend a lot of money putting up plexiglass barriers i think all over in your space but it wouldn't feel very good and you know i mean i think 
the better experiences I've had, like going to a grocery store are the ones that are, they limit the amount of people that go in. So you're not kind of constantly worried about your interactions, but they also, you know, are very clear in communicating just which way to go and where to stand and all these things that I think are just concerns people have. And like even doing it wrong, you know, is something people are worried about, like, am I doing this right? You know, so I think however you can guide someone through the experience. We also have been talking a lot about outdoor spaces and how important those will be. And maybe you move your reception desk outside, you know, in the meantime, if, if your weather allows for it, you know, I think people are more comfortable in the open air than in confined spaces right now. That seems like an opportunity for a lot of spots. It's just if you have outdoor space, uh, consider using it differently. It's such a hard thing because the, the role of a restaurant in society is like where you come together and you you you, you chill out. And if it doesn't become a, a comfortable visit because there's plexiglass, sanitized stations everywhere, you know, the toilet needs to be cleaned straight after you've gone out of it. I guess, again, it's this, you know, this fine line of what kind of experience do you want to be remembered for? As I mentioned before, but also how can you actually utilize the, the the space in a way to create enough revenue from a design point of view as well? They're talking about two meters between tables, even longer somewhere, and it doesn't feel like optimal in a way for for many people. And would you go and stay in a hotel where other people have been sleeping in that room if they had the infection? When is the infection gone from that room and stuff like that? Have you been asked about that about how to solve these very complex questions or getting inputs for these things? Not yet, you know. A lot of our hospitality clients that were open and functional uh, simply haven't reopened yet. And the ones that are under construction aren't open yet either. So we're not necessarily dealing with the real time, or at least I haven't in my, with my clients in particular, dealt with the real time struggles that people are going to be going through, but we are trying to think about it. Yeah, I was talking to the GM at, at the Lalo, which is a hotel we did out in uh, Honolulu, Hawaii, and they've been open and operating, but have been, I think, operating at you know 20% or some something like that a real small capacity with a really light staff. He said he's working more than ever right now, you know, because they, I think, have fewer people on. Yeah, we haven't had any specific asks yet. Evan, our CFO and partner, just shared a link with me yesterday that was showing the numbers in hotel occupancy. Like it, it was comparing 9-11 and then 2008. And then this, this is just so much crazier than any of those. It's, you know, 20% or less. And each of those, you know, took a dip and it was hard, but not like this. This is a different, different beast for sure. Yeah. And well, and I feel like that's what's one of the most marked differences is that both of those other events it's being compared to were true events. They happened once and they were done. And this is an ongoing epidemic. I mean, it's an ongoing thing that none of us know when it will level out or what leveling out even looks like. So that's the hard part. Yeah. I think, Michael, you mentioned on one of the other podcasts, the idea that just, you know, you have to keep innovating throughout this or else you die. You know, you're, you're, you just kind of don't get to continue on. I mean, I think with all these, businesses. It's just like what makes sense today might not make sense tomorrow. And that's the hard part. But also, I mean, the, the fun creative challenge within this is that you get to think on your feet and you have an opportunity to change things that you might not have liked before. I think it's a bit like suddenly, you know, innovation or you, you need to play your A game every day and actually, you know, think about new ways to move. And I've just been uh, watching the, the Last Dance, the story about the Chicago Bulls and Michael Jordan. Oh, right. You know, he's a fascinating character, Michael Jordan about how he innovated himself and the team because he was so extreme he, he he drove the team with him I'm not saying that that, that what every business should do but it's interesting
talking about how you come out of nothing and suddenly win the NBA six time in a row. And it feels like, you know, a bit like, you know, I, I see the business I'm involved in that we are playing some really high intensity NBA games every day and it moves very fast uh, things. And you have to have the tenacity to innovate at that level. And you guys also must have felt that when you think about it, that you guys started out in the last crisis that were back in the financial crisis in 2008 and nine, and coming into this one, how has that been and how have you actually adapted it, your business and the way you you operate when you, you know, you're moving at such a pace as we do in the moment. It's, it's such a, you know, it's just continuing. You guys just said it's like, it's not stopping anytime. Yeah. I mean, I, I think luckily we felt pretty prepared for a situation like this, not because we anticipated it coming, but just because we started a FlexWork program like a year and a half ago. And that just got us to get all the systems in place for working remotely and how we could communicate and check in and have the technology, I guess, ready to do that. You know, we were doing that two days a week. The shift to doing that five days a week just wasn't that difficult. The difficult part has just been not having that in-person face-to-face interaction and the lightness that we get by being in the studio together. Yeah, we're a social bunch. And so we, we definitely miss the human interaction, even though we, we talk to each other every day via phone call or Zoom call. But I'd say that there's a couple of other things that helped us pivot as well that were just kind of baked into our brand DNA. And one of them is that, you know, Fritz and I are pretty naturally scrappy creators. And so we've just inherently been industry agnostic and creative agnostic for a very long time ourselves. So we run our studio in a similar way where, you know, it's a really great time to be industry agnostic. If we were tied to the hospitality industry exclusively, I think we would be struggling a lot harder. But because we have our our hands in many different industries, uh, we're able to maintain some semblance of normalcy with our payroll and and with our, our, our workflow. And I would also say that, you know, just the fact that we're able to have that pivot mentality, I think a lot of companies don't challenge themselves to think about how how they need to pivot quickly and often. And I think that we just, again, part of our brand DNA is just like every decision is a brand decision. So and, and everything's an opportunity. So how do we how do we make this pile of beans into something that's magnificent? We're we're facing the, the global pile of beans right now. And we need to, you know, really make some delicious meal for, for everybody. So, you know, I, I feel like as a creative studio, we were well positioned to pivot and and to, you know, be resilient in this tough time. As leaders of the business, maybe Fritz, you can start, how are you keeping yourself sane in this? Because like being a business owner, no matter what business you're, you're operating right now, it's a tough gig. How are you then, you know, balancing that? Because you are taking care of 20 other people that needs to, to feel that you are, you, you are there where you need to be in a way. And it's a tough going i know it from myself and my own team do you have like some tricks some some rituals you do fritz and then jeremy can add on some things afterwards i mean luckily going into this also i should have mentioned our our company i mean feels better than ever as far as just the morale and the way that all the employees get along so you know like that part of it i feel like just keeping the team in good spirits we just have a pretty amazing team of people right now that trust us and appreciated the way we reacted to this early on and we've just kind of continued to communicate with them every step of the way to just let them know hey here's what's going on uh, we got paid for this other job so that you know gives us some more runway we also might be landing this other client all these things you know so i think that communication part has helped us a lot throughout this individually man i've just been hanging out with my family and you know i have a cabin and i've been remodeling that so that's been a nice escape uh, to go out to the cabin and just kind of be away from things but still be able to work and get online and gone for some runs that was kind of a phase started making bread recently <laughs> i don't know if i have any secret tips other than yeah just kind of continuing to try new things as we go 
Good, good, good. And you, Jeremy, what are you doing to to keep yourself sane? And Luckily and also unluckily, I would say. I'm a person that is always striving for kind of self-improvement. I, over the years, have built a, a slow and steady regimen of, you know, daily practice. Even when things were pre-pandemic normal, I was still doing these things. And I, and I find that by maintaining a regular, like, daily meditation practice and a daily exercise routine, and things really are not just good for my body, they're good for my spirit. It, it's really, really helpful to, to be intentional about, about my time. I mean, I think that that's one of the most challenging things is that all of a sudden time doesn't mean anything anymore with w- working from home and where everything's the same every day. It's very, very Groundhog's Day in concept. So I think by giving yourself a way to measure time and a way to control where you put your focus at what time of the day, I think, uh, again, adds that kind of level of certainty and, and security that I think we're all kind of craving right now. But as a business owner, I mean, I agree with Fritz completely. I think that it's not easy on anyone, but I think the best thing we've done is be transparent with our crew and, and we're lucky to have who we have. We've we've built a strong team and, and everybody's kind of a very three musketeers mentality, all for one, one for all kind of thing. So we're all very supportive of each other and doing what we can and making sacrifices to keep everyone on board and, and afloat. Yeah, we went through a process a couple of years ago to like sit down and write out all of our core values and establish our reason to exist and do that kind of that whole process, which I think totally shaped the way we hire and helped us to hire amazing people is also like allowed us to just identify some things just so like change is inevitable within our company and we've always been kind of pro change when it makes sense just down to find a better way is our reason to exist you know moving into this i don't think we were scared by the idea of change and we've tried to hire people that are also uh, down for the ride i think that has helped us a lot that's a very good point there like having this shared banner that everybody believes in and the beliefs and behaviors you, you build from that from how you hire and how you deal with things it's a, it's quite key when uh, things get shaky that you have that very cleared out so that at that point you didn't know what you were hitting but I'm quite sure that has has had a massive impact on where you are today as well I think sometimes you can see definitely businesses that don't have this they're crumpling very fast in this because there's no hope because it's just empty words and paper if you haven't really worked them into the into your team in the end of the podcast I always ask about you know your top three advice to what to do in the context of things and now we have the COVID-19 what would your guys top advice be to to a hospitality operators out there. Fritz, start with you. What would your number one advice be for operators out there to go and think about right now or start doing? I think it's a lot about just looking at your brand and your business and how they align and just figuring out contextually what the right move is. You know, it's hard to make a blanket statement about what's right to do. I think it should should all be there like within your brand if you've built up a solid one leading up to this. And Jeremy, well, what is your, your thinking? My answer is one that I would honestly offer to both hotel operators and just about any person that's alive and dealing with this pandemic. And I think that one of the best things I think anyone can do for anyone else, customer or or human alike, is to simply spread hope and optimism. At the end of the day, that's one of the things that is going to be the one of the most powerful ways to keep and sustain what we're having to endure until we're at a place where it's not so much white knuckling to get there. Right now, we're all kind of like uncertain about like what next week might hold. Or, or, or how long this is going to last. So I think that no matter what we can do is in every moment, if we can think about how we can spread hope and optimism and ask ourselves the question, you know, what if? A lot of businesses simply don't ask themselves that question very often, but well, what if we made hand sanitizer and sold that instead? Or what if we made masks and contributed? Or what if we did give our time to people that need it? That simple question of what if, I think can really help people pivot with that lens of hope and optimism. I think that that can really make a positive impact. So what you're saying is, first of all, that, you know, 
the importance of spreading hope. And then Fritz, what you said, what I actually got out of that is that it's also okay not to know. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that's something we've been become really comfortable with over the years is that idea of not knowing, you know, like, but if you keep working at it and keep going back to it, you'll, you'll figure it out. You know, I mean, and that's like with every project we take on, there's definitely that period where you don't know. And I think the more we've done it, the more comfortable we've gotten with that idea of not knowing every time, you know, with the right amount of thought or even the right amount of stepping away from it and, you know, go for a run or take a shower or something like that that gives you a different perspective. That's when the ideas come to you. And what you said, Jeremy, about the hope thing, there's an interesting, I had a conversation last week with a woman called Kate Moses that has a agency, inside agency for hospitality and restaurant business in the UK. And she said that there was like one question you should ask yourself right now. What would I like to be known for in 60 years time? What did I do in 2020 that will impact my story positively in 60 years time? That is a super interesting question. It comes a bit back. Are we actually a hand sizer company now or are we something different? What should we actually be doing? What is the right thing to do compared to our brand stories and mm-hmm. so on? We've always gone back to this Maya Angelou quote that says, you know, I've learned that people will forget what you said. They'll forget what you did, but they'll never forget how you made them feel. That's that thing, you know, with feelings that we always keep going back to is, you know, how you react to this and in sharing positivity or sharing optimism. I mean, it's going to be a lasting feeling that people will think about when things get back to normal. They'll associate with you and your brand and your business if you make them feel something good. I couldn't have found a better way to tie this up, Fritz. So with that said, thank you, Fritz and Jeremy, for coming on the podcast and sharing your story and your thoughts about a very difficult situation to have any answers to. And I'm sure there's people out there that has a bit of the thinking about that. And especially the last thing we actually we set out to do is talking about how you make people feel. I send you and your team all the energy and power you need to walk through and your families as well to walk through this challenging time, but maybe also a time of great opportunity for coming out on the other side in the new paradigm. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah, same back to you. It's been a pleasure to be on the podcast and these have been really compelling questions and a, and a fun dialogue to be a part of. So thank you. Fritch and Jeremy, thank you so much for your amazing thinking and sharing your best practices on how to build a brand that stands out as well as your thoughts on how to drive, survive and bounce back from the pandemic. If you have enjoyed today's podcast, please give us a like, share, rate or subscribe to one of our channels. If the subject around branding and standing out really interests you, I will also recommend you to visit our previous episodes. Episode number 12, Creating an Authentic Brand with Mark McCulloch and episode 55, The Futures is for Brands That Care with Katie Moses. Thanks to Let's Talk Media Production for your support on the podcast. Tune in next time for another interview. And in the meantime, find out more about us and subscribe to our newsletter at hospitalitymavericks.com. Thanks for listening and be maverick.